podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Recording in progress. Three, two. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are previewing the... Actually, it is the one of the Big 12 games of the week. Uh, we'll talk about that from our, our sponsor here on the podcast here in just a little bit. But it is the Kansas Jayhawks versus the UCF Knights. And yes, I did say UCF, not Central Florida. I know several people who like to poke fun at some of the fans of one of the newest schools here in the Big 12. But to help me talk about this game, talk about the team, what the heck happened to them last week, it is Adam Eaton of the Sons of UCF podcast. Adam, how you doing today? You know, Andy, I'm hanging in there. It's been a rough week here in UCF land, but uh, all things considered, we're we're hanging in there. Yeah, I mean, anytime. I mean, let's let's just go ahead and start there. Like, what the heck happened yeah. last week? Because I was watching, right? I was watching the Kansas game and getting upset about kind of the way that that game was unfolding. And then I look over and like UCF, I believe, was up thirty-five to seven at one point, and then yes. all of a sudden, I'm looking and it's like really, really close, and obviously. You know, they didn't, they didn't, uh, hold off the bears. Like what happened? Was that some, like, did, did something happen during the game that kind of changed the tide or was it just really just somehow a, an epic collapse? I think it's probably the best way to describe it. Uh, yeah. Epic collapse. I mean, it was an, it's an embarrassing, um, output by the Knights. The, you know, we've had to banter all week on our show. I think it's the worst loss in UCF history by, by far. You know, basically 29 unanswered by, by Baylor and UCF was dominating that game early on, even late into the third, early the fourth quarter. And as with UCF, Andy, it was a cacophony of errors. It was a bad punt. It was missed assignments on defense. It was a, a scoop and score by, by Baylor. It was two two point conversions that were, were, were converted by, by Baylor. It, it just seemed like. UCF let their foot off the gas and didn't quite know how to close the game out and was just kind of hoping Baylor would fold and, and they didn't. And, and credit to, to Baylor and that team, they kept fighting and they kept getting first downs and yardage. And I think UCF was just hoping they would pack it up and go home and they didn't. And before you know it, you're in a tight ball game. And then all of a sudden you make a couple of errors and, uh, and that's what you get. It was a flat out embarrassment. You know, the second half of, of the game, UCF started off the first drive okay. And it looks like they just didn't know what to do with themselves. Do we go tempo, which is their normal offense? Do they slow the, slow it down? Defense couldn't get off the field on third down. Andy, 10 of 18 on third down, Baylor was on, on Saturday. You're not going to win a lot of games like that. And I think they got out to an early lead and just assumed it was going to be over. And Baylor didn't give up, and, and UCF didn't know what to do. And before you know it, you make errors, and now all of a sudden you're down, and you're relying on a 59-yard field goal to try to win you the game. After a fourth and 10, your quarterback runs 70 yards all around the field, back in the end zone, com- completes a miracle uh, you know, fourth-down conversion. Uh, it was just an embarrassment. It, it was a, a flat-out embarrassment. I've been around the program for 25-plus years now. Probably the most devastating loss I've, I've ever seen or been a part of. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I've seen some pretty bad ones as a Kansas fan, but I also don't know that I've ever seen one where – I mean, like you said, I, I think like most fans, it seemed like everyone just kind of assumed that one was over the way Baylor had been playing. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that it was down in Orlando, like there was just so much going for UCF in that game. And I, I really just don't know what, what to else to say about it. Cause I, I don't, it, it didn't feel kind of the way you described it and the way I was watching it. I went back and watched some highlights or lowlights, depending on which side you root for. Um, like, it didn't seem like UCF or like Baylor was making a ton of plays. It seemed a lot more like UCF was allowing Baylor to do a lot of things that they hadn't been able to do in the first, you know, first half. Um, and 
obviously credit Baylor for actually being able to do those things, but UCF seemed like they played completely different towards the end of that game. And, and it, it definitely yeah. like that. That's kind of why I was confused and why I was asking you, cause it, I didn't see anything in the highlights. I didn't see anything in like the game, you know, like the, the play by play or anything that would indicate, Hey, this is like a big shift. It just all of a sudden stuff stopped working for them and started working for Baylor. So, um, yeah, it, it, it reminds me of that thing, Andy, where you're, you're at work and you look up at the clock and it's one o'clock. You're like, oh, four more hours till four o'clock. And you just kind of at five o'clock, you're just waiting for the time to tick off so you can go home. And I felt like UCF just looked up and was like, okay, you know, 13 more minutes. All right. 12 more minutes and, and stopped playing ball and just was hoping the game would end at some point. And Baylor just didn't do that. And, and credit again to Dave Aranda and, and, and the Bears for not doing that. But it felt like UCF was just kind of waiting for that final buzzer and Baylor was like, hey, we're, we're going to keep playing. And before yeah. you know it, that's fine. But then all of a sudden, you know, uh, we had an epic third and five that we decided to go wildcat, which is typically not a, a down and distance. We go wildcat third and five ball glances off the running back hands on the ground, scoop and score for, for seven for Baylor plus the conversion. And all of a sudden it's a whole new ball game. And then it's like, Oh crap, we've, we've got to now play again. And you took a quarter and a half off, right? You basically took, you know, you know, 20 plus time, 20 plus minutes in real game time off. And all of a sudden now you got to play again. Baylor had the momentum. UCF didn't crowd was crowd was empty in some spots at that point, because everyone assumed this thing was over and the students went home to do keg stands and do whatever students do. And before you know it, <laughs> It's the most epic collapse that I've, I've seen in a long, long time in college football. Yeah. All right. Well, we won't belabor that point anymore. Um, let's go ahead and take a look at this team, though. I mean, because obviously, you know, you, you had some wrenches early in the year. John Rice Plumley going down with an injury. Um, you know, I've heard some rumbles that he might potentially be back for this game, but much more likely after the bye. Uh, are you expecting to have him back for this game or is it going to be Timmy McLean? It's a great question. It's, it's a, it's something I've been, I've been, I've been texting and emailing and calling sources all day to figure out what the situation looks like. Gus Malzahn, the head coach had said he'd want to make a decision by Wednesday. And so I'm, I'm efforting to try to figure that out. It, it's a really interesting question, Andy. And, and here's why, not just because of obviously who's the quarterback and, you know, what's going to happen, but I don't think UCF thought they'd be in this position. Oh, and two in the conference, right? You go on the road at Kansas State. It's a tough, it's a tough game, a tough environment. You know, first time your quarterback has, has played in that environment and, and Timmy McClain, the backup, he doesn't play well. Okay. You're good. Then you're like, all right, I got Baylor at home, all this momentum, you know, big 12 home opener. We honored the 2013 team that beat Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl. I think UCF probably in their mind, they did that thing the fans do where you, you look at the schedule and you go win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. I think UCF looked at this one and said, this one's probably on win. We can get away with, with Timmy McClain, the backup win this one and we'll be good well all of a sudden they didn't and so now you look at the schedule and you say to yourself wait a minute you've got kansas by and then oklahoma it's not an inconceivable for ucf to be 0-4 in conference starting out 0-2 is bad enough and and you look at the conference ahead of you now and you go wait a minute can we afford to keep john rice Plumley out or do we do we need to rush him back by all accounts he got cleared medically um to play uh, as late as friday evening but obviously he wasn't going to play because he practiced. So that's a big question. You're going to find a lot about how desperate Gus Malzahn is because if he thinks he can win with a backup quarterback and he believes in his team and his talent on both sides of the ball, you won't see Plumlee on Saturday. But if he's, if you see Plumlee in there, that either means he is a miraculous healer and he went to the Aaron Rodgers School of Medicine or that Gus Malzahn is completely saying, hey, I cannot lose this one. This is a must win for us. I've got to roll the chips out there. And I'll say this last thing, Andy, for those who don't follow UCF, John Rice Plumley, his best attribute 
is as an athlete. He is a he is a runner of the football. When he has got the ball on the edge, he's probably the fastest player UCF has. If his legs don't work, and he had a knee injury by all accounts, right? So that you would you would assume that would hamper that 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 running ability. If his legs don't work, and he's got to be a passing quarterback. That's never been his strength. And if you need evidence of that, go see the AAC championship game last year where they played Tulane where he had a bum hamstring and he had to essentially be a thrower of the football. That's not his thing. So even a, a Plumley who is a little bit um, b- uh, behind his normal standard, I don't know what that gets you. So this this decision will tell you a lot about how Gus Malzahn feels about his team. But as I sit here with you Wednesday night, I've been texting people all night trying to see if I can get an inside scoop. I have heard nothing yet. Um, but they're saying he's practicing. They're saying that, you know, they're going to evaluate him. So the possibility still exists that you see JRP on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things though. You look at what Kansas brings defensively in, in terms of the pressure. And, you know, if he's not able to run, like yeah. passing might be a problem anyway, just because Kansas is going to be in the backfield. Now, whether they get to him, you know, or not is, is, is another question, but. You know, if he's not able to move and able to like step up in the pocket as quickly as he needs to or things like that, then it's going to make it a whole lot easier. So even if he technically could go, if he's limited in any way, they might decide to roll with Timmy McLean anyway, because he's going to be able to, to kind of get out of things. You know, that's what Kansas has been really good at is bringing that pressure and disrupting the way that you try to do things. So next question for you. How has the offensive line for this team held up this year? That's a great question, Andy. So this will be what game, uh, game six for UCF. And we've trotted out a new lineup in every single game except Ooh, for the first two. That's not good. <laughs> uh, and some of that was, you know, our starting center in games one and two all of a sudden got benched. He's now third string. Um, of the center we were starting, he got dinged up in the second half against Baylor. We brought in the guy who was playing left guard is now playing center. So we have shuffled our offensive line a bunch and we have yet to, to get a, a full, I think real look against the real team in terms of how the O-line looks. So the Gus Malzahn and the staff will tell you it's the deepest they've had from an offensive line standpoint in a long time, but, but it's also five guys who haven't played together a whole bunch. And I think that's going to be really the, the test for this team is who's on the O-line, how well, how, how well can they acclimate as a unit? I think individually you've got some talented guys, some big guys, some guys who have played other programs, Alabama, uh, for, for instance, and Amari Kite, our, our new right tackle. Uh, Marcellus Marshall was an All-American in the MAC for Kent State. So you've got some guys with talent, but they haven't played together before. So what's that going to look like? And I'll tell you this. Timmy McLean, the biggest knock on Timmy McLean is his best attribute is he is great at freelancing, but he doesn't like to run the offense. He likes to, he, he's best running out of the pocket, running wild, making plays, sort of things break down, kind of a Johnny Manziel-esque style, although he's no, certainly not, I'm not comparing him to Johnny Manziel, but he's not one that wants to stay in the pocket, look at his reads, look at his progressions, make good throws. He's got a good arm, but he wants, he, he's best when it's a jailbreak. And so, so if if that line can't hold and Kansas is in the backfield and Timmy's running around like crazy, that's a recipe for a bunch of turnovers, in my opinion, for for Kansas. So, again, Gus has a big decision to make, but it, it, I, I would not sit here and tell you that our O-line has really solidified. Now, they could shock me and figure it out, but it's been a it's been a revolving door through all five positions. Well, and, and I think like the main, you know, the main game that I watched because I watched start to finish that Kansas State UCF game and. It definitely seemed like the like the offensive line had something, but it wasn't polished, like you said. Um, and they wore down as the game went on, which is not something you yeah. can typically do against Big 12 teams because most of them are able to take advantage, especially Kansas. Kansas has, has always been a second-half team since Lance Leipold came here because the idea is throwing a bunch of people at you, you know, having those fresh legs at the end, and, 
you know, coaching adjustments as you go through the game, making those, those changes in that, in that third and fourth quarter to really kind of attack what it is that they've shown. And the teams that have been successful against KU have been those that make their own adjustments and kind of outmaneuver, uh, or, you know, just are like Texas and have a ton of five stars all over the place. And, you know, they really should beat you. But, um, so, you know, I, I, I do worry for UCF fans that are, you know, expecting a huge offensive output here because Kansas has shown the ability to kind of break down offensive lines, especially middle of the game, going into the end of the game. Um, so looking at, at like the one thing that Kansas hasn't really done well is to stop the running games for their opponents. What does UCF running back room look like now that we've had a few weeks to kind of take a look at them? Um, and where do you expect them to make most of their, uh, production from from the running back room yeah ucf likes to run the ball i mean we are a run first team at ucf and you've got two guys um rj harvey uh who uh is kind of the the rb1 if you will but there's an electric playmaker named johnny richardson who if you didn't see the baylor game our first offensive play we ran a little sweep to the left side and uh and and johnny got the corner 79 yards on touch for a touchdown on the first play so you've got some dynamic fast game breaking style guys in the backfield however ucf is better running the perimeter than running in between the tackles, running in between the lines. So that's really going to be a key is if you can, UCF can stretch the field and they'll run a lot of jets. They'll run a lot of, you know, motions, a lot of eye candy in the backfield. Right. But they want to get those guys on the edge. Johnny Richardson specifically is not one. He's, he's five, seven, 130 pounds soaking wet. Right. But he, he's fast as all get out. So he wants to get on the edge. RJ, Five nine, you know, probably solid buck eighty. He's a smaller kid, but he's not afraid of contact. And UCF's have really shrunk their running back rotation. They had three, three to four running backs they were playing in the in the first couple of games in non conference, and that's really shrunk the last couple of weeks. You have not seen Jordan McDonald, the bigger back. And Demarcus Bowman, who's probably the fastest of all the running backs. So you'll see a heavy dose of running between those guys. You'll see a lot of jet sweeps and motions. Xavier Townsend is a name. I promise you at some point in time, you will see a jet sweep handoff to wide receiver Xavier Townsend at some point. And he's, he's, he's quick. He's fast. He'll, he'll break attack. He'll get you a good 20 yards and we won't go back to that again. The challenge with, with UCF is there's so many guys on offense that have talent that I don't think they've really figured out how to spread the ball around. Um, I mentioned Johnny Richardson, six carries, 101 plus yards. He averaged 17.5 yards carry, but only six carries. RJ Harvey had 21 carries, right? So I think UCF's got to find a way to spread the ball a little bit, but they, they want to run the ball first. That, that's, that's accentuated with Plumley because then he becomes a threat if he's healthy. Um, so UCF is going to want, want to run the ball, but they're going to want to run on the edges. They're not going to want to run in between the tackles, um, and, and down the center of the field. Uh, they will do some wildcat times and sure they'll run up, uphill at that point, but they want to be on the edges throwing the football. Yeah, which is very similar to what the Jayhawks try to do, which means that the Kansas defense is going to have seen that in, um, you know, in practice. But that seems to be where they have the most problems, right? Is, is actually, uh, guarding out on the edges because, well, especially running ba- or quarterbacks that are able to run like that doesn't sound like that's necessarily Tony McClain's strength. And if Plumlee's back in, I, I'm guessing he probably would want to kind of do that. So this is a question whether he can be yeah, able I to. Would- yeah, I would say the difference between the two. So Plumlee's the kind of guy that if, if he's healthy, again, big if, he can take the ball and go 65 yards on one carry. And he, he's fast. He's electric. Timmy McLean's not that guy. doesn't have that speed. But he can go seven yards. He can go 10 yards. He can go 12 yards. So he can be your death by a thousand paper cuts style quarterback runner. Where Plumlee's going to be like your dynamite runner where he goes 70 yards all of a sudden in a blink of an eye. And you go, oh, my goodness, what just happened there? And, and you're not going to get that out of Timmy McLean. So that's the difference between the two. They'll both run a little bit. But McLean 
McLean does not have anywhere near the speed of, of Plumlee. And again, he'll pick you up 10 yards on third and seven. He'll get you five yards on, on second and six, but Plumlee will get you 70. Um, and again, good and bad in both of those, but that's the difference between both of those from a running quarterback standpoint. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, um, looks like there's a very good chance that UCF will not have their starting quarterback and a really good chance Kansas won't have their starting quarterback because Jalen Daniels is dealing with a back injury. Um, you know, so it might be the battle of the backups, but it is also the Big 12 game of the week over at our sponsor here on the podcast, the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a Kansas City-based clothing company that specializes in collegiate and vintage apparel. They have a ton of great stuff. It is super comfortable. They want you to be the best dressed and most comfortable fan this year. Um, they have 30 different schools, including all of the Big 12 schools except for Cincinnati currently. Um, but we are... Or this is officially the game of the week, which means that over on the Twitter, we are doing a giveaway and Sons of UCF is also doing a giveaway, one each for a Kansas shirt and then a UCF shirt. Um, but presented by, by Charlie Hustle, of course, but they have so many different great things. They have the Jalen Daniels shirt. They have the, you know, Beacom, the I am a J. They have so many awesome shirts that I guarantee you're going to find something that you want. And of course, if you win the shirt, you're going to get a really great shirt. I, I promise it. Um, they're super comfortable. I really enjoy wearing it. And unfortunately, it was not enough to power Kansas to a win over Texas last week, but it was definitely a great experience to have it and to be wearing it and to at least not be worrying about, you know, being upset at my clothing while I am watching Kansas get demolished. So, um, if you want to save on some great apparel, go over to charliehustle.com, use promo code 101215. That is T E N one, two, one, five. You can get 15% off of all non-sale items over there. That's not a one-time code. That's as many times you need to. Anyone you know that needs collegiate apparel that they have, you can use that to save that 15%. Again, charliehustle.com, promo code 101215. That will get you 15% off all non-sale items. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right. So I do want to jump over to the other side of the ball. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special mom in your life. And what better way than with the Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets that are perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their advanced eye care duo brightens, awakens, and firms the skin around your eyes, while the golden glow body trio nourishes and smooths the skin all over. Both sets are packaged in giftable boxes. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. And the best part? For a limited time, you can save up to $46 on Osea's sets. Plus, get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. This Mother's Day, get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. Go to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off site-wide. <clears throat> and we're back. I am here with Adam Eaton of the Sons of UCF podcast. We are talking, of course, about the UCF-Kansas matchup coming up this weekend. Already talked about the offense for UCF. Now I'm I'm fairly curious about this defense because this is a defense that I think... Well, let me let me ask this. Is this the kind of defense you were expecting to have coming into the year? 
It, it was, it, it was, Andy. It's, it's a first year defensive coordinator in Aston Williams, who I think is still trying to find his way. He, he's admitted openly in press conferences that he's still learning. He goes back and thinks that he didn't put the, the team in right positions. He should have been more aggressive at times. So it, it, it is the defense I expect that out of a first year D coordinator. I'm curious to see how he responds as he gets more games under his belt and as a D coordinator. But, you know, you said something earlier in, in, in the previous segment about the offensive line and, and kind of wearing down. That's been the bugaboo for UCF's defense. And my opinion. I mean, UCF touted itself as having a really deep defense, deep on the lines, you know, deep in the secondary. But in my view, one of two things is happening, Andy. Either one, UCF does not have the depth they thought they have, or two, they're not as well conditioned as they thought they have. Because I think you'll see a defense, particularly in the D line, that wears down as the game goes on. First, you know, first, second quarter, they'll be in your backfield. There'll be guys getting over the, uh, after the quarterback. They'll bring in some fresh guys and, and they'll make some plays. They'll be disruptive. They'll play in the backfield. But third and fourth quarter, it seems like those guys wear down a ton. And that's, I think, the growing pains of coming to the Big 12 is having those multiple hockey line rotations that you can kind of roll in there. There's also an injury on the D-line. Ricky Barber, uh, who is uh, per, you know probably the best defensive lineman we have on the interior, has played 13 and 14 snaps respectively the last two games. So his health is going to be a big issue. Uh, so that D-line, I think, will wear down. Our secondary is, is okay. I think there's some young players there. They've, they've stepped up. They've played well. Where UCF is, is deficient, in my opinion, on the defense is the linebacker. Uh, they have one stud linebacker in Jason Johnson who, who gets a lot of tackles, uh, but this is the way I describe it to people. He makes plays, but he's not a playmaker. He's not going to, you know, third and five, pop the ball loose from a defender. He's not going to blitz the quarterback and get a strip sack fumble, but he'll make a solid tackle. So he makes plays. He's not a playmaker. And the other linebackers have rotation throughout the entire year. You know, the Kansas State game, they were consistently out of their run fits. They overran gaps. They overran their their assignments. Uh, and Kansas State ran for, I think, Giddens ran for 200 yards himself against UCF. So that that rush defense for UCF is going to be suspect, suspect, particularly as the game wears on. That D-line's got to stay fresh. The linebackers, you, you need someone to really kind of step up and step in there. Um, I think secondary-wise, it's okay. But the, the, those those first six for UCF, UCF usually plays a 4-2-5. Those first six... Uh, that's where you're going to see as the game wears on Kansas fans. Keep an eye on those first six. If if you see those guys get knocked down or not get any pressure out, out, out of gaps, if you're wearing blue and red and, and have a, a, a bird on your shirt of some sort, you're probably going to feel good about what's happening. Yeah. So, I mean, for Kansas, then what is the, like the weak spot of the defense? Like, is it just the fact that they wear down over time or is there a specific area that, it, that teams have found to be the most successful to, to attack from start to finish? Yeah, I think you can attack the middle of the field, Andy. I think that's the spot where you can attack UCF right down the middle of the field. Again, I think the linebackers uh, often find themselves out of positions. If you can run straight up the gaps at, at UCF, right? So if, you, if you're able to get some push and, and sort of create lanes on the interior, I don't think UCF's linebackers have enough eye discipline to step in and make tackles. Uh, if you get to the perimeter, UCF's had a struggle, especially on the defensive line. I mean, look, as any D-line wants to, those those ends, particularly they want to get pressure right they want to get up field they want to get to the quarterback and that often will get them out of their lane so setting the edge has been a challenge for UCF as well and the linebackers don't really have good eye discipline they're not in spots to be able to make plays off run fits and and we've been we've been gashed again if, if any Kansas fans curious check out Kansas State UCF I mean again Giddens ran for 200 plus himself uh and and I don't you know you've you've seen him a bunch I'm sure Andy he's not a speedster no <laughs> he's not, not at a all. burner he's, he's he's a big dude and he can certainly get downhill but UCF had no answers how to stop him so yeah I, that I think I think build wise I, I would say I think build wise is very fairly similar to Daniel Highshaw 
um, for the yeah. Jayhawks. And then I don't even, I don't even want to try to guess what, uh, Devin Neal's going to do if he's able to get into the middle of the field. So, um, you know, he, he has been pretty good at making people miss. This, this feels like this is a game where Kansas could rush for, you know, 250 to, yeah. you know, 280, somewhere in that range. Um, but depending on how Kansas defense is doing, like that might, that might be a shootout. The, the one that we've been waiting for all year long. Um, you know, Kansas really hasn't been in a, a game that I would classify to be a shootout. Um, even that like Nevada game or the, or the game against Illinois, that's what we were expecting coming into the year, which means that the Kansas defense is doing what it's supposed to do. But it also, I think means that the Kansas offense is not quite as good, um, as we are used to having them see, you know, be, which obviously is, uh, kind of difficult when you have your starting quarterback who, is injured and trying to deal with a whole bunch of stuff. So do want to ask, um, you know, in terms of looking at this, this Jayhawk team, you know, is there anything about this offense that really worries you coming into the game? Yeah. Look, you mentioned the quarterback, uh, Jalen Daniel, if he's playing, I mean, I think that's a huge issue for UCF. They, they have not seen a quarterback of that type of that athleticism throughout the entire season so i don't I, I don't think they've prepared for that now you've seen plummy a little bit i guess in practices but it's probably been a while since they've seen that so if he's playing i think he brings an element that ucf has not seen throughout the year um you know from what i understand from what my research sounds like the the jayhawks o-line is pretty solid uh and so you're not able to get a lot of pressure on the quarterback so if you're going to expose a young secondary to kind of wait and you're going to expose linebackers to try to be in the right spots you know it, it concerns me that kansas will have time to sort of you know, pick apart the defense find the seams find the holes find the gap and, and just start getting getting yards. And before you know it, I think if UCF isn't disciplined, you'll get chunk plays um, from Kansas. So I think that, that O-line concerns me a bunch because if we can't get any pressure, if we can't push the pocket a little bit and make the quarterback uncomfortable, um, it's going to be a long, long day for that UCF defense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely um, – it's going to be interesting, especially since, you know, the way that Jason Bean plays is a little bit di- – or quite a bit different, actually, from the way that Jalen Daniels plays – um, it's going to be a couple different things that you have to kind of worry about. Um, all right. So let's go ahead. Let's just jump into it. Uh, how do you see this game going? What do you think is going to be yeah. the most important thing in this game? I have no friggin' idea. Uh, and here's why, Andy. This, this to me is the swing game. This, this game is going to make or break UCF season. And here's why I say that. I don't mean to be a hyperbole on game six, but you're a team that just literally collapsed and is getting laughed at by all of the college football world, right? Everyone's laughing at you on, on social media. You're at SVP's top list of, of, of idiots, right? You know, Ryan McGee is putting you in his bottom 10 in ESPN columns. So if you're a UCF team, you have one or two options right now. You get in that locker room and you say, you know what, damn it, let's go take this out on Kansas. This is not us. Let's let let's 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 lock arms. Let's let's go. Let's be brothers. You know, we made some errors, but we're going to go out there. We're going to play disciplined football and we are going to take it out on Kansas. Or you're going to see a team that is already teetering, and as soon as they get punched in the mouth one time by Kansas, they're going to fold, and it's going to be floodgates. So I don't know which to expect at this point. I've I've heard different things from different people inside that locker room. I've heard some guys say, "Hey, you know what? You know, I, I'm I'm fed up. We are pissed off, and we are going to come out, and this is this is going to be our game." And I've heard some people are still sort of sulking over the Baylor game and and what 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 happened and what went wrong and what they didn't do and what they should have done. So this is going to be a tale really of how does UCF come out and respond, and it's not going to be so much the response i think they're going to they're going to be you know willing to do things but when kansas scores a touchdown when there's a missed assignment when they throw an an interception how does ucf respond i think you have the opportunity for this team to look each other in the eye and say the entire world is laughing at us now it's us versus everybody let's go out there and show them who we are and 
and, and they can mean that and play that way, or a team that is fragile and as soon as they get kicked, they're going to fold. I don't know what to expect yet, to be perfectly honest with you, Andy. I don't know what to expect. Neither one of those two would shock me at this point, uh, but I think that's going to be really – you can do X's and O's and who's bigger, faster, stronger, all that stuff, and I think that certainly is important. But to me, this game is going to be about UCF's mentality, UCF's psyche. What kind of frame of mind are they in coming into this game right here? If they can lock together and be a team, I think you'll have a competitive game. I'm not saying UCF wins it, but I think they'll be competitive in the, and they'll be in the game. But if they're not mentally ready and if they're if they're fragile and Kansas kicks them in the shins and UCF folds, I think that that's going to be a really interesting part not just for this game but for the rest of the UCF season yeah so if if UCF is able to come in and win this game and, and you know, I'm looking there's Kansas is favored by the Vegas lines but if you look at like this the you know the advanced statistics so like FP plus and F you know the FPI over ESPN and stuff it seems like UCF is the favorite in those metrics um so you know, if they were to go ahead and win this game, like what would that take? What would be like the main thing that would stick out for how UCF was able to win this one? Yeah, it's got to be eliminating mistakes, Andy. I mean, I think a lot of games that UCF has lost or, or, or been down in, it's been self-inflicted penalties. I think at Kansas State, they had 10 penalties. Uh, they had a bunch of uh, delay of game penalties on final drives. They had late hits. So it's really been self-inflicted wounds. If they can control their penalties and they can limit turnovers, they I think they're the team that's turned the ball over the most so far, if I saw that right, in the Big 12. So they have the most giveaways in the Big 12. They protect the football. If they can lim- uh, limit um, penalties and self-inflicted wounds, they're going to see themselves in the game. That's going to be their. That's going to be their bugaboo. And the third thing is UCF has been terrible in the red zone. Uh, I think you talked about advanced stats. I think one thing that skews a lot of stats. If you look at UCF, they're statistically the number one offense in the Big Twelve. Right, and and they put up a ton of yards, and they put up a ton of points, and they and they go fast. But I, I, you get in the red zone, all of a sudden you don't have eighty yards in front of you and fast people. You know, you have a goal line staring at you, and eleven people who are sneering to try to tackle ball carriers and, and to stifle receivers. That's where UCF's had some challenges. So, limit turnovers, limit penalties, be productive in the red zone, get off the of, the field on third down. I think UCF can have a chance to be in this game. Yeah, I mean. I think that's really kind of the issue is that Kansas has Kansas has had their own mistakes. You know, they they have a fumbling issue, um, and they have been able to create mistakes for opponents, but not necessarily been able to take advantage of them a lot. Um, specifically, I'm thinking about the Nevada game where they forced five fumbles and did not recover a single one of them. So, you know, they've had some really good games, some really bad games. I think the thing that, that jumps out to me here, though, is just the fact that this is a home game for the Jayhawks. They've been really, really yeah. good at home. They have not been so great on the road as we saw against Nevada and Texas. Um, but I think this is also a team that is kind of just trying to figure out, you know, what it is that they are and, and what they want to be. And, you know, you've had some some weirdness happening on the road where, you know, like Jalen Daniels played against Nevada, but they were actively keeping a part of his game out because they didn't want him to take as many hits. Jason Bean gets thrown into the fire against Texas. What are we going to see from Kansas? You know, are they going to game plan for Jason Bean all week long and actually tailor the offense to take advantage of what he's able to do, which I think that they have the ability to do that. They have the personnel, they have the the coaching staff. Or are we going to kind of see a, we still think that Jalen Daniels is coming back, so that's our game plan all week long. And then if he's not able to go, then that's a problem. So I think, I think unfortunately for UCF fans, I think the outcome of this game has a whole lot more to do with how does Kansas look on offense? Are they on the same page? Are they clicking or are they shooting themselves in the foot? Are they causing a bunch of problems for themselves that are allowing UCF to take advantage of it? You know, I will never be the one to say that, oh, well, 
you know, we gave you the game, you didn't win it, because even if we give you opportunities, you have to actually go out and capitalize on them. But I do think that Kansas is in a position to make this game either a lot easier on themselves or a lot harder for themselves, depending on how that offense looks. So, you know, I, I do think that the UCF defense, what they have to do, are they going to be able to capitalize on unforced errors? Um, or is Kansas going to kind of clean all that up? Um, so kind of final question here before we get to something fun really quick, or at least fun for me because I'm, I'm a Kansas fan, but, um, <laughs> how do you see this game going? Like, is this one where you think that UCF is going to come in and get that first big 12 win, or is it going to be another week of them looking for one? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I want to be the Homer guy and, and pick my team, but I, I don't sit here tonight with a, a whole, a whole lot of level of optimism. Uh, I mean, I, I, give me 34, 31 Kansas. I, I think it's a close game, but I, I just, I need to see if UCF can respond and, and under Gus Malzahn, the last 10 games, UCF is five and five. Uh, and they've had some tough losses there and you haven't seen this team really respond to adversity really well. And so this will be the first time if they can pull it off on Saturday and we just haven't seen it yet. So until I see it, I, I can't, I can't lay any claim to it. So give me 34, 31 Kansas. Yeah. I, I think That's this game's going to, yeah, I think this game's going to end up being like the BYU game that Kansas had um, where, you know, I think UCF's going to have some success early. I think there's even a decent shot that UCF can, you know, lead going into halftime, um, depending on how things go for the Jayhawks and, you know, what they're able to do. Um, but this is a second half team for a reason. They're really good at making those adjustments. They have a really good coaching staff that's able to take advantage of all of that. And kind of to your point from earlier, I think Kansas is going to wear them down over the course of the game. And it's just a matter of when does the dam break, not if it's going to break. Um, I expect Kansas to have a really big second half. And I do see them pulling away in this one, but you know, it's probably going to be a lot more uncomfortable than most people want it to be, especially going into the end there. So, all right, let's take a look really, really quick. Just we are approaching the basketball season. Kansas fans are obviously big basketball fans. I know UCF has had some issues basketball wise, but I will say take heart. TCU was an abysmal program when they came in to the big 12 uh, for basketball. And they now, I believe they're going to be, they're, they're potentially going to be ranked again coming into the year. So there is definitely hope, but do you guys look forward to basketball at all? And, and what are you thinking about the first season in the conference, you know, in this beast of a conference that is the Big 12? Yeah, I look, I mean, me personally, I'm, I'm a huge basketball fan. That's my favorite sport always has been. So I, I always personally look forward to basketball and joining the best basketball conference in the, in the nation is is really cool for me and that being said i think we're gonna get throttled a bunch i mean our, our first five games i think we play kansas kansas state uh houston's in there i think the only team that we play in the first five that only and i say only won 19 games was byu so uh, ucf did not get any favors from a scheduling standpoint it's going to be a really tough road again i'm looking forward to basketball season i, I love good quality basketball i think ucf is going to be competitive i think they're going to be in games at times but it's a roster in flux you know nil for basketball at ucf right now is non-existent uh it, it's a football dominant school and basketball has always been sort of the the second fiddle if you will so uh, we've, we've got a young team a bunch of disparate pieces coming together from different schools to try to gel 
Um, I love Johnny Dawkins a lot. He, he seems like he's quite literally one of the nicest human beings I've ever met, but I, I'm not quite sure if, if he's right to be coaching in the NIL era. He's, he's an old school coach, kind of believes in the old coach K, do it the right way kind of way. Uh, and so I, I am not the least bit optimistic. I, I had, uh, we had a former UCF coach on our show. Uh, two weeks ago, looking at the schedule, and and he 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 thinks four wins in conference would be a successful season for UCF. So that's where our bar's at right now. Andy <laughs> is give me four wins in conference, and I don't know where they're coming from yet. By the way, I think we just picked a number out of the air, but I can't wait to see UCF compete. I know Kansas is coming to UCF. I know that's a that's a game a lot of fans you know are going to be excited about. Hopefully, a lot of Kansas fans come and experience Orlando and experience what that is to is to offer. I will tell you, a lot of UCF fans are really bummed we're not going to Kansas. I think that's a bucket list item for a lot of folks is to get out to Fog Island and to see a game out there. I know for me, I'd, I'd love to be able to make that make that trip one day. Uh, and so I can't wait for return years. I'll say I'm sure sh- I'm sure you'll have it next year. So there, there's no there is no illusion of success on the basketball court. This this season's all about the vibes for UCF. <laughs> enjoy the ride. Enjoy the trip. Go to some new places. Hope you can be in some games late and hope you're not turning off the game at halftime because you're down by 20. I will say there's only one thing I have to kind of uh, pick at from what you said is that there is no such thing as doing anyone favors with a schedule in the big 12, because it is just an absolute beast. No matter who you are, no matter, you know, your first five ever games in the big 12, you're playing probably arguably, you know, for the, for the top five teams, right? Like that, that's like, throw me a West Virginia, at least Uh, give me a BYU. We played since. Well, well, I mean, you have West Virginia in game six, so, you know, it's not that far That's That's where, that's where it lightens up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and it lightens up in air quotes, by the way, in West Virginia, no, no disrespect to us. But I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, looking at it, like, just based off of what they were last year and kind of how everything like West Virginia, you have no idea what you're going to get just because of, you know, Bob Huggins leaving and, and like all of that ridiculous, but like, you know, he had a really good roster that was put together and it seems like they've kept all of it. So I'm not really sure who the weak point is, you know, who the weak team is other than, you know, the way you're talking about it, UCF probably, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but like I said, TCU, that was the way it was for TCU when they first came in. It took some time, but I think playing against the teams that you do get to play against and having those experiences really helps, you know, as you go to build the program. So yeah, I'm looking forward to when UCF does come to Allen Fieldhouse because, um, you know, I like to go out as often as I possibly can. I've been to quite a few of the other venues, but there, there really is no other place like Allen Fieldhouse. So I'm looking yeah. forward to when you guys get to experience that. So, all right. Well, anything else, whether it's football, basketball, whatever, that you want to leave us with before we get out of here for the night? Yeah, I mean, look, I think for UCF fans, I, the the vibes of just being in the Big 12 have, have been fantastic. A, a lot of fans went to Manhattan, had a great time, uh, enjoyed the hospitality. Baylor came to, to Orlando last week, and a lot of Baylor fans uh, enjoyed coming to Orlando. So I think for UCF, uh, you know, a lot of fans are looking to go out and just just experience this for the first time. Uh, I know a lot of people are excited to get to Manhattan, Kansas, never or, uh, or Lawrence, rather, uh, never had a chance. I, this is the first time I think UCF Kansas ever played in anything ever, as far as I can tell. Uh, and so this is the first time I think our, our two schools were, will commingle. Fun fact, though, Terry Mahodger, UCF's athletic director, I think played football at Kansas, was an associate AD at Kansas for a while. So there is some ties there. But outside of that, not a lot of commingling between UCF and Kansas. So I know a lot of fans are excited to get out there and just experience the Big 12 stuff. So I know you've heard a lot about UCF fans on Twitter. There's a lot of us, don't get me wrong. 98% of them are obnoxious. But if you see a UCF fan roaming around outside the stadium at the bar on Friday night, I promise 
promise they won't bite. Go up, say hello. Uh, it's it's a pretty hospitable bunch too. So if you see someone wearing black and gold, don't don't be afraid. Their Twitter persona is probably just a, just a facade. Uh, and most UCF fans are enjoying the opportunity to get out to some of these new cities. And and I will say that uh, you know if you do run into a uh, rather drunk Kansas fan who goes off on you know UCF people wearing black and gold, it's just because you know Mizzou is also black and gold, and unfortunately, That's fair. you know. They might get a little bit confused when in in their drunken stupor. So, but That's no, yeah, I'm looking forward to having UCF fans um, in Lawrence. Uh, you know, I I know quite a few people. I lived down in Florida for a while, so I've been over to Orlando quite a few times. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually someone I used to work with. His daughter went to UCF, and so I am fairly familiar with UCF. Was kind of excited when they you know were 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 announced as an addition just because of you know what they actually do bring in terms of the numbers and everything so looking forward to this looking forward to you guys getting the full experience of traveling to all of the locales of the Big 12 it's a lot of fun there's a lot of places you know you probably won't enjoy Lubbock very much and i know my texas tech <laughs> friends are going to be mad at me for saying that and of course i'm a kansas fan so i i cannot it's i'm contractually obligated to not say anything nice about manhattan so um sure. but we'll just kind of leave it at that but no <laughs> Appreciate you guys being on here. Adam, where can everybody find more coverage of, of UCF online? Yeah, if you're into the audio thing, uh, UCF, uh, Sons of UCF podcast, wherever you do audio downloads, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you do that kind of stuff. We have a YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com, obviously, slash Sons of UCF. Got a bunch of videos up there. We do interviews with players. We have multiple shows throughout the week. Uh, so you can find a bunch of coverage there, some exclusive stuff that you won't get on audio. And then our new website, uh, sonsofucf.com. We have articles. We have recaps of games, uh, a bunch of pieces there as well, too. And then social media, at Sons of UCF, wherever you do social media, if that's Twitter or X or, or threads, if that's still a thing, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you're doing social media, just find Sons of UCF. Awesome. Well, that is going to do it for us today. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other, or no, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, not Stitcher, um, but any of the other million podcast apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcasting, subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. Give us a rating and review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, make sure you just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the info you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want us to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We, of course, are part of the 1012 Podcast Network, which covers all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. Um, you can support us over on our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash 1012 Network. There's some really great stuff. In fact, Jamie's, uh, she just put up something. The Jamie's tarot card stuff is absolutely hilarious. I absolutely love that stuff, but... You can support any of the shows over there. You can also find links to all the shows over at 1012network.com. And of course, you, uh, make, make sure you visit our sponsors, uh, you know, Charlie Hustle and also Prize Picks. You can get some great deals with them over there, but that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.